Welcome back to another edition of the American Veteran Podcast. You're joined today by Miles Miggs and no one else. AMVETS has been extremely busy. Uh, our national comms director, John, is running around. Our executive director, our national commander, are running all over D.C. Um, if you don't know already, AMVETS has been in the news uh, in a large margin the last couple of days. Uh, and we did not have time to put together a podcast. We have been on social media. We've been conducting interviews. We've been getting interviewed. Um, there are a lot of pieces just spiraling around right now. Um, and also, if you have been following us on social media, you'll realize uh, that we have been bombarding our social media with what's going on in the news right now and didn't necessarily feel it appropriate to continue to harp on it on this podcast. Uh, people know, people are aware, uh, they don't want to hear it over and over and over again. Therefore, we do not have a podcast this week. However, we do bring you one of our most important interviews uh, that Amvitz has done in the history of this podcast and our online magazine. Uh, and that interview is with the Honorable Mr. Randy Reeves. Now, Mr. Reeves is the current Undersecretary for Memorial Affairs at the Department of Veteran Affairs. Uh, as you'll find out later in this interview, I will tell you now, uh, Mr. Reeves served a 27-year active duty service with our United States Air Force and our Navy. He did tours in Desert Storm as well as the Global War on Terrorism. Mr. Reeves serves as the 6th Undersecretary at this position. He's the sixth person to hold this position ever and was confirmed by the United States Senate November 8, 2017. So without ado, let us hear from Mr. Reeves. Uh, and, you know, the military and what the military offered, uh, like many young people, uh, was a right fit for me. But at the same time, it was a right fit because I saw the need to go and serve like many others you know, had served before me. Uh, I ended up, uh, first of all, joining the Air Force. I was an enlisted man in the Air Force. I was uh, a uh, uh, Air Force uh, munition specialist. I did everything from testing, you know, Air Force's air-launched uh, missiles and, and different types of munitions, bombs, etc., to doing demolition, to, uh, you know, working in a number of different places across the world, including uh, I was in the test wing at Edlin Air Force Base uh, in Florida. And the thing that's probably the most interesting about that is the fact that I was then later commissioned in the, uh, in the Navy. Right. And some of the same types of munitions, specifically the uh, cruise missile, uh, I was testing air launch cruise missiles, and then was in a ship USS Philippine Sea during Desert Storm and participated in the first launch uh, from that ship uh, uh, of the first uh, sea launch cruise missiles into Iraq. So I was on the ship when they did that and they tested basically the same thing right. 10 years earlier. The most important, you know, I think part of my Air Force career to me was the fact that during that time I met my wife Ida. Uh, we both we met in Korea but she was serving in the Air Force at the same time I was. And she is also retired. Uh, she's retired Air Force, and I'm retired Navy. So 
So uh, having a dual military family, and then of course after I went into the Navy, a dual military family with different services, I think you can understand, you know, gave us a lot of different challenges in assignments and in our ability to serve. But we were able to do it, and I'm very proud of her and her service and how she supported me in mine. As a commissioned officer in the Navy, for most of my career, I was a combat systems officer, uh, which is basically the, the person on the ship who is in charge of all of the, uh, the weapon systems. Right. Uh, uh, served one tour, you know, in a in a uh, an LHA, a you know, a large tech amphibious assault ship, uh, where I was an engineer for for a while, and and, and got my uh, steam engineering letter of my engineering qualification, which was required for me to be able to qualify for command. Uh, you know, as I was going through my time as a surface warfare officer. Right. You know, in the in the Navy. But to, to answer the question, that's a little bit about my background. That's a little bit about my military service uh, and how I ended up, you know, with serving veterans is when I retired from military, I had come back from uh, the Middle East. I was the operational support officer for Naval Central Command in, in Bahrain, uh, you know, assisting with staffing and manning uh, different units, both in in Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, for, for the reserve component, of course. Right. Uh, but I came back and I was uh, stationed at uh, uh, Millington, Tennessee, at Navy Personnel Command. I was there, that was my last tour, uh, and I was in charge of, uh, you know, flag, or, or I was the board sponsor for uh, officer promotion boards, primarily flag officer promotion boards. But I came back there so that I could retire and be close to home. And frankly, I had uh, intended to retire, uh, and I got, and, and I kind of laugh when I say this, but I tell everybody I failed retirement. Right. Uh, because, and, and what I mean by that is, when I, I spent about three months in retirement, and then I went right back to work, and the reason for that was I needed to serve. Uh, and an opportunity came up for uh, Mississippi's first veteran cemetery. Uh, and that was to be the cemetery director of that, of that uh, first cemetery. They didn't have the, the grant or hadn't gone into construction yet. Uh, and it was, but I uh, was hired, left active duty uh, at the end of July, actually the 1st of August, uh, and then in 2008. And then I went to work, uh, was hired in January of 2009 to be Mississippi's first cemetery director. So there's only one VA cemetery in Mississippi. No, that's that's not uh, that's not. Oh, okay. There are actually now there are two state veteran uh, cemeteries. Okay. I was able to uh, uh, be the first cemetery director, built the first, uh, you know, was was responsible for building the first state veteran cemetery in Newton. Uh, we actually, before I left the state veterans affairs board as its executive director last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, we actually built a dedicated Mississippi Second State Veteran Cemetery in Kilmichael, Mississippi. That's uh, a little further north in the state. But there are also national cemeteries uh, in Mississippi. There's the Natchez National Cemetery, Biloxi National Cemetery down on, on the coast, and there's the Corinth uh, National Cemetery in northeast Mississippi. And additionally, 
Memphis National Cemetery serves the northwest part of the state. And then there are a couple of cemeteries over in Louisiana uh, that actually reach over there. Catchment area reaches over and serves uh, some small parts of the Mississippi Delta. So there's really full coverage uh, in Mississippi. And it's, and it's important, I think, in you pointing that out because the, the way the National Cemetery Administration made sure that we uh, covered uh, and gave a reasonable burial option to all our veterans, uh, and, or that's, a, you know, that's what we're trying to do within 75 miles of their home, is both the National Cemetery Administration system along with our state and tribal partners throughout the United States and Mississippi is a great example of that because when we put the, the uh, cemetery at Phil Michael, that pretty much covered all of our state. And we can talk a little bit more uh, as we move on about what NCA specifically is doing, you know, across the country, you know, to provide that burial option to all our veterans and their families. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so you have three sons that are either currently or have served, right? Are they all active duty right now? No. No, actually, uh, my oldest son served in the Army. He was mm -hmm. a Ranger sniper in the Army. Nice. Uh, and he's now out of, uh, out of the Army, and, and uh, he works uh, uh, for a private company, but he still actually works with the Department of Defense folks and, and trains uh, uh, folks both in the State Department and other agencies, uh, you know, similar duties. Right. My middle son, uh, and he served uh, in, in, in Iraq, also jumped into Grenada. Uh, you know, so it's been a little while for him. My middle son was a submariner in the Navy. Okay. Uh, and then our youngest son is currently a captain stationed in Korea. Uh, he was enlisted in school at night pretty much like I did. Right. Uh, and then was able to be commissioned uh, in the uh, United States Air Force. Uh, and we're very, very proud of him and what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, just like both my wife and I, my wife Ida, uh, who, as I said before, is retired Air Force. Uh, all three of them have served in combat zones, uh, along just, just like uh, their mother and I. Uh, and we're very proud of the fact that we are a military family. That's who we are. Have they ever conveyed to you your influence, uh, whether just seeing you and your commitment to veterans or, or seeing you serve? Because uh, as you had said, you know, your military history uh, kind of influenced you into joining and then continuing to serve once you'd retired. Uh, have they ever kind of uh, expressed that same kind of sentiment? Well, they have the same commitment right. uh, that both my wife and I do to the service of our country and to serving in the military. Uh, all three of them, I believe, were heavily influenced by the service that both my wife and I had uh, in the military. When you grow up in a military family and it becomes the norm that you should serve in some way or another. And I think, uh, and to be very frank with you, I, you know, during my career I was deployed a lot. Uh, and my wife uh, was uh, deployed some too, uh, but she was the one who was really there, you know, taking care of our family. And I think that she influenced their decisions uh, in watching 
you know, how committed she was to, to service, and then saw what I did. But uh, to answer your question about you know, having served veterans, you know, each and every one of my family members, uh, you know, pretty much is a veteran. Right. So to not be committed to serving veterans would be it would go against everything that I right. am, uh, and it would go against what they are. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, um, as we now know, you have an extreme familiarity with the system that is the VA, the, the ins and outs. Um, mm -hmm. You know, as, as we had stated, uh, the Executive Director for Mississippi Veteran, Affair Board, or Veteran Affairs Board, mm -hmm. uh, President of the National Association of State Directors of VA, mm -hmm. uh, and then also a member of the VA Rural Health Advocate Committee. So, you're focusing on all aspects of the VA, uh, health, benefits, cemetery, even maybe a little bit OIT technology, just that kind of involves all those aspects. Is it, let's see, is it, is it a change of pace, almost a refreshing uh, outlook to be able to focus in and hone in on one aspect of veteran affairs as opposed to dividing your attention to all, you know, different factors that are the VA? Well, what I would say is that I have the opportunity to be the Undersecretary of Memorial Affairs. Mm -hmm. And my primary focus, of course, is with the National Cemetery Administration and all of the components uh, of memorialization that serve our veterans and their families. Right. The thing that I have been most impressed with here at VA and having the opportunity to be a senior leader here at VA, uh, the thing I'm most gratified about and the thing I'm most impressed by is the synergy that I'm seeing here in VA. What I'm seeing that Secretary Shulkin and this administration has brought to VA, because when, even though I'm the Undersecretary of Memorial Affairs, when a veteran or a family looks to me or looks to any of our folks who serve them, they see them as the VA. And as a senior leader, and, and this is this is something I take from, you know, the example that I watch in Secretary Shulkin because he is so committed to our veterans and the service of our veterans, is that regardless of what position we happen to hold here currently, it's incumbent upon us to look across all of the different administrations within the VA, look across all the, what I guess what we call business lines, and be mindful of the fact that every piece and part of this great organization we call the VA affects the other. It's all intertwined. It, it's all connected, and we have to understand that and I think that as we move forward, you know, with the vision that, I, that I've seen in, in Secretary Shulkin and our leadership here, I think people outside VA are going to start to realize and see the great synergy and working together, you know, for that one common thing that is so important. And that one common thing that is so important is the veteran. And the families of our veterans whom we serve. Because 
I, you know, I, I may be talking a little too much here on this, but I, I want to really emphasize that what we're doing and what the leadership here is doing, primarily Secretary Shelton, is focusing us on what our core objective and goal, and that's to serve that veteran and that family. Because, you know, realistically, whether it's the other secretary of Memorial Affairs, whether it's the secretary, whether it is the person out on the ground in the cemetery, or the groundskeeper, or cemetery representative, or whatever, we can really only effectively serve one veteran at a time. We do things that affect a lot of veterans you know, across the country, right. you know, in, in policy and, and in you know, the programs that we do. But I think we're, we're successful every day if we each, and I'm talking each and every person, each and every team member across the VA, if we are able to positively affect one veteran or family every day, then we're successful. Because that spreads from one to the other. Right. And that's what I come back to, what I'm saying to you in, in terms of VA as a whole. Although I've got a specific focus of a, right. and a mission in NCA, I have to be always cognizant of the fact that each veteran and each family member is a whole person, and they're going to do more than just what my administration, meaning the National Cemetery Administration, may be able to offer. And we always have to be able to connect them with all of the things that they may need. And that, I think, is what I'm most impressed with that Secretary Shelton is bringing to the day. Yes, absolutely. Um, so going forward, what are some of the important initiatives and goals? Uh, let's go for 2018. What would you like to see accomplished this year or put into place for uh, you know years to come uh, with the National Cemetery? Well, the National Cemetery Administration, just like the rest of VA, we're looking at how we serve all of America's veterans. Because VA and NCA, all of the administrations, DHA, DVA, uh, NCA, every veteran in our country, over 20 million of them, we touch all of them in some way or another. And to that point, in NCA specifically, one of the things that VA is, that NCA, the great organization it is, okay, most, one of the most highly respected organizations in government, when you talk about the National Cemetery Administration, has done is today we have been able to, we, NCA, has been able to provide a burial option, a reasonable burial option, uh, within 75 miles to to 92% of the veterans in our country by 2020. Wow. That will be 95%. You know, and that's through our work with our, all of our partners, meaning state and tribal governments and others. Okay. And what I want to do personally, and we as NCA and I think we as VA, 
is I want to focus on that other 5%. We have many rural areas and many pockets out there in the country where there are small numbers that we don't have the burial option within 75 miles. Mm -hmm. And that is so important to me because, you know, you remember I'm from Mississippi and I'm a rural veteran. Right. And it is so important, especially in some of our western states where we have state and tribal right. uh, lands that, you know, there may be, you know, a small number, but they have to travel great distances. And we're right now looking at the ways we're going to reach and take care of that 5% so that we can be as near 100% coverage as possible across this nation for our veterans. Another area that we're really looking at is because we talk about the National Cemetery Administration, but our broader mission and who we are is, I'm the Undersecretary of Memorial Affairs. We are about the memorialization and the remembrance of our veterans. We are working on a number of things and some things that will come out very, very soon, and I hope to be able to share that with you within the next month or so, uh, about how we are going to make sure that each and every one of our veterans across this country, whenever, regardless of when they serve, or those that will serve, and those that are leaving active duty, that they will never be forgotten. Because that memorialization piece of our mission is so important, and that's something that we really are going to focus on. And in, and in just a couple of other things in line with specifically the Secretary's priorities. I mentioned reaching that other 5%. That is his priority for access for our veterans. We want to make sure that all of our veterans across the country have access to that to that reasonable distance for the burial, for a veteran's burial option. Right. That's one. Secondly, suicide prevention. We know that most veterans, regardless of the amount of service they have, you know, we have people like me who serve 27 years, we have people who serve 30-something years, but most of our veterans serve for a number of years, you know, an enlistment or two, enlistment four years, six years, whatever, and then they leave military service. And most of our veterans make their greatest contributions to this nation after they leave military service. And something that we are going to focus on and are focusing on is carrying that message and telling the story of what our veterans have done and continue to do for this nation. Because if we can reach even some, and I think we can reach a lot right. of our veterans who are leaving active duty, who may be, uh, you know, at risk, okay? when we're talking in terms of suicide prevention. But if we can make sure that they know and that they believe, as I so deeply believe, that when they leave military service, their story is not over, and that they have so much left to give to this, to this country because we tell the stories of those who have done so much for this country after military service, I believe we can be a great part in helping in that priority of suicide pre prevention. Because, you know, let's face it, a lot of times people feel that their life is over 
because they're rough military service, but whereas they're not going to experience those. Right, it's hard for them to transition. And, and this is and this is my personal opinion. Right. Okay, and I think and I think that it's right that if we convince them that just like many others before them, their story's not over and they have so much more to contribute than they will, I think we can make a difference there. Absolutely. Um, so let's see, uh, our, our nation's capital, D.C., is a, uh, a massive media hub, whether you've got the Post, you've got Stars and Stripes, and the uh, Military Times, both right down the street uh, in Virginia, mm -hmm. or at least the Times is in Virginia. Uh, have, you, have you noticed a larger media draw when it comes to moving out here to D.C., as opposed to being in Mississippi? Uh, you know, the VA is constantly spotlighted just in the media, uh, whether good or bad, uh, because it's here as well. And, and you've got so many uh, avenues as far as getting that news out and the media actually reaching out to you. So I, I guess my question is, have you noticed it? Uh, has, it some, has it been something that's come up on your radar? Or does it not really affect you in that aspect? Well, I will refer back to something I said earlier. Right. Uh, when we make sure that the veteran is the center of what we do, when we make sure that that, is the, that, that veteran and that family of that veteran is always at, in front of us and is always the center, I think that, yes, I was in Jackson, Mississippi. Now I'm in Washington, D.C. Of course, there are more media outlets. Of course, there are more, uh, you know, I see probably more stories than, than, I, than I might have back there. But I think that's a positive. Mm -hmm. And the reason I think that is a positive is because when we're talking about the needs of our veterans and when the veterans are front and center, then we can have the discussion about how we take care of them. Whether it be an NCA, whether it be in, in any other part of the VA. And I go back again to another thing I said earlier. I have to say again. Most, I am most impressed with the fact that in every meeting, in every discussion, whether there is a media story there or whatever, our Secretary of the VA, Secretary Shulkin, and quite frankly, this entire administration focuses on the veteran. And Secretary Shulkin reminds us every day that the veteran and the veteran's family, you know, the people who we serve, is what we need to keep our eye on. And for me, that means that, yes, there are stories, there's additional media here, but my mission hasn't changed. My mission in Mississippi was to serve veterans. My mission here is to serve veterans. And as long as I keep that in front of me and don't forget it, 
outwardly focused. And what mark it on the end of, or, or whatever you, you call that, really will be secondary to, to your soul. Absolutely. Fantastic. Uh, so the last question I had for you um, is we all have a word association. If someone says a certain word, it, it may bring up a, a memory uh, from the past. Uh, an image might pop in your head. So when we talk about how important it is to serve veterans, just in terms of serving veterans, where does that put you? Do you think about a time where you were serving veterans in Mississippi? Do you think about a time here? Is there a certain event or image that pops in your head when you think about just simply the term serving veterans? When you use those words, when you say serving veterans, the thing I have to tell you is that what I think of is what I see every day when I come to work. I intentionally, if you look behind my desk there, you'll see a picture of me. And on either side of me are two chief petty officers. Neither of them are, are with us uh, in this world. I'm still here. Both of them, and one of them in particular, is as responsible for my success in the military because he was my command chief. He was my senior enlisted when I had, first had command. And he like I said, it's no longer with us. He was at the point of retirement, and he was getting ready to retire. And because his military service was coming to an end, he thought his life was coming to an end, and he took his own life. He can't be here and serve. I have to serve every day because I have an obligation to him and to many others like him. And if you look to the right of that, you'll see a picture of two little girls. And you see them pointing to the wall. I had the great honor of de helping design and build the Mississippi Persian Gulf War Memorial. Those two little girls, they're both there with their grandmothers. One of them, her, her dad, he went to the same high school that I did. He was much younger than me, but he went to the same high school I did back in Mississippi. And I was standing with an earshot of her whenever she was pointing and her grandmother was talking to her when that picture was taken. And she pointed and she looked and she asked her grandmother, is that my daddy? It was. And I have to come here and I have to serve for her. I have an obligation every day to serve and live a life for those who can't. Does that explain what I think about serving? Yeah, perfectly. Yes. Um, awesome. Well, again, thank you for your time. Um, and when we conduct these interviews um, and, and we get to you know, speak to people on all sides of the veteran aspect. Uh, our members truly appreciate it as well. Mm -hmm. um, because these are the things that they look forward to most hearing, you know, uh, people with great influence in the veteran community that get to sit down and essentially talk to them. 
right. um, even though we're doing it through obviously a laptop, a microphone, and GarageBand. Mm -hmm. um, but they truly take it to heart and they realize uh, busy schedules, uh, different conflicts, uh, as you stated yourself, uh, going through something personal right now. Uh, so they, as, as well as myself, really appreciate the time that we're able to take out today. Uh, most importantly, I appreciate the time that you took for me. And if I could, there's just a couple of things I'd like yeah, to mention. Please do. You know, I got to come here to the National Cemetery Administration and serve as the undersecretary. When Secretary Shulkin called me, frankly in shock. He and I, you know, have gotten to know each other on a number of years working together in my, you know, in my previous capacity as, as the president of the National Association of State Directors of Veterans Affairs. All the states partner with the VA. The National NASVA, of course, is the National Association of State Directors of Veterans Affairs. But it, through its member states, is the only other organization other than VA that has the responsibility to be able to serve and to take care of, in one way or another, all of America's veterans. And that was so important to be able to, to come here after having that relationship with Secretary Shulkin and through the NCA. NCA itself went for six consecutive years has had the highest customer satisfaction ranking, you know, of any organization, public or private. Over 90% of our team members in NCA actually work outside of Washington. How many organizations can say that such a small percentage, only 10% are actually here in Washington? Right. And the rest are out there serving veterans. And, you know, and 76% of NCA's team members, those who serve veterans, are veterans. And over 33% of our NCA team members, me being one, are disabled veterans. So to come into an organization like this one that is made up of so many veterans, and, and as I tell our team members, as I'm walking, walking around talking to them, Two kind of heroes for me. There are veterans and there are those who serve veterans. And when I talk about veterans, I'm talking about veterans and their families because right. of the contribution that they make. They're a part of that team. And to come to work every day with heroes like this, nor could I ever want out of life. And to and, and the last thing I want to say. To work for someone you know, like Secretary Shulkin, like I do, who cares about veterans the way he does, you know, that's a hero to me. And you know, we we can talk however we want, but I'm in awe of the fact of the commitment that this that he and this entire administration and the opportunity that he and President Trump gave me be able to serve veterans. There's nothing more that I could have asked for out of life. And for that, I will always be grateful. 
thank you again for his uh, for your time. Thank you very much. That is all for this week. Uh, I'd like to apologize for not having more content in this podcast. Uh, however, we were extremely excited to bring you a very passionate interview uh, by Mr. Reeves. Uh, we could tell he's extremely excited to begin working. He has a love for veterans. He's extremely proud to work next to our you know, Secretary of Veteran Affairs, uh, Dr. Shulkin. And he's ready to get to work making sure that you know when our heroes are gone they're not forgotten with that being said this is miles mix for amvets national headquarters signing off